when you see messages coming back saying how much it meant to them just to have a bit of a laugh and a bit of an escape, then you realize that you were not just making silly dog videos. listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 59 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. We're getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving here in the U.S., and so I wanted to make sure I take a moment to thank you for your download, for listening, for your reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts, for your likes on Instagram and Facebook. I see every single one of them, and they all mean a lot to me. I truly pour my heart into doing this podcast for you, and you never are quite sure if if what's in your heart is going to resonate with other people, and so it's still very exciting for me. Every time I see the download numbers go up, every time I see a new review on Apple Podcasts, every time I get comments or messages on Instagram, it all truly means a lot to me. And speaking of social media, I'm really excited for you to hear today's guest, Andrew Cotter. Even if you don't recognize his name right away, if you're a sports fan, you might recognize his voice. Andrew is a sports broadcaster who's covered everything from Wimbledon to the Olympics, rugby, golf, anything that you can imagine, primarily for the BBC, but for other networks as well. So if you can imagine what the life of a sports broadcaster is traveling around the country of England or perhaps the world to attend these major sporting events with thousands and thousands of people... And then COVID happens. So your life changes very drastically and completely overnight. So suddenly, with a huge amount of time on his hands, Andrew decides to make a video poking fun at his situation. He has his trusty Labradors, Olive, the Black Lab, and Mabel, the Yellow Lab, And he makes a video of them eating breakfast. And he's doing the play-by-play like a sports announcer would. Hilarious, right? The world seemed to think so. His video immediately took off and went viral. Just off the first video alone, there were 10.4 million views, 112,000 retweets, over 350,000 likes, and he received 120 interview requests after posting one video back in the spring of 2020. And all of the social media fans wanted to know, when's your next video coming out? And so his second video, Game of Bones, went even more viral with 19.7 million views, over 221,000 retweets, 671,000 likes, and more than 14,000 comments. It was the third video when I first became aware of Olive and Mabel, and I'm wondering how many of you saw this on the news at night, just in just your local news. And this was the Zoom meeting. And this is one of my favorite things to come out of the whole COVID situation. The struggle of trying to get both dogs to show up on Zoom at the same time without being muted. 
And there's just been more and more and more creative videos and just laugh out loud things. And I'll make sure I have a link in the show notes for you because if you haven't seen these videos, you have to. And I'll admit something to you right now. I don't even like watching videos a whole lot. Like my husband is the big YouTube guy, whereas I'm the person who would rather read things, but these are totally worth your time and attention. And if Andrew Cotter wanted, he could be like a huge dog influencer these days. And I don't know if it's because of his age, you know, we're over a certain age into our 40s, or if it's just who he is as a person, but he's not interested in, you know, shilling for every dog food company that has come along or lending his play-by-play broadcast voice to every silly commercial idea that he was approached with. And that just makes me like him even more. I saw a review of his books where it was described as hilarious and heartfelt. And I think that those are two of the greatest words that you could use to describe Andrew Cotter. So we're going to talk about his two books today. Olive, Mabel, and Me is the first book. And the second book is Dog Days, Life in Lockdown with Olive and Mabel. I had such an amazing time getting to read these books. I have so many post-it notes sticking out of the pages where things were just funny or things that I wanted to talk to him about. So we're going to hear, you know, his backstory about how how he was inspired to do all this. Is he going to keep making videos? All of the opportunities that came his way, which ones did he take? Which ones did he turn down? And we just sort of talk some too about what is like going viral and getting all of the social media attention when you're somebody in your 40s who has a very different view of it than maybe you would if you had been in your 20s when this happened. And throughout the interview, we'll get a little bit of a play-by-play of what Olive and Mabel are up to while we're talking. I'm so excited for you to meet the hilarious and heartfelt Andrew Cotter. So we are here today with Andrew Cotter. How are you? I am very well, Erin, although um, I'm outdoors and a wasp has just landed beside me. Um, the, the, the table that I've got <laughs> my laptop on, they come down and they nibble at the table and apparently they're taking the the surface off it, the sort of waxy surface off it to go and build their wasp nests. Wasps, what, do wasps have nests? That's terrible, lack of nature knowledge. Whatever wasps' homes are called, wasp a wasp warren um that, so they build they build them with the surface of this table so our, our table's been stripped but um i'm safe from them because they're not going to attack me because they're so busy just stripping the surface of the table and, okay uh, i don't want to put you in any danger <laughs> no one of them's just landed on mabel who's nearby as well in fact olive and mabel are side by side uh beside me they're sort of back to back lying on the ground but very very soon uh, mabel will be at full attention because it's six minutes past four here in the uk and at five o'clock, they get fed or thereabouts. So from 20 past four onwards, Mabel goes into the vigilant zone of just staring, staring at us uh, in the, the, the fear that it might not happen, but just determined to, to make it happen. To, to see if anybody's going to the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a very long answer to your question, how are you? I just <laughs> digression into wasps and dog feeding times, but there we go. Well, our girl Penny, yeah, she's she's on high alert. And if anybody starts moving towards the kitchen, yeah, yeah about past four or five o'clock, like you better be getting her something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get me stuff. Yes. <laughs> so I, I always love starting out by hearing about your childhood experiences with dogs. I do know a little bit that you did grow up with dogs. So do you want to tell us about what that looked like for you? 
My tell you about my childhood. Well, Aaron, it was a troubled childhood. <laughs> I come from the mean streets of uh, Trun. No, um, no, dogs were always a part of um, just as, as you know, as long as I can remember. Dogs have been there, just sort of part of the furniture. That's just it. They're just there as tables and chairs are. You know, there's always a dog wandering around. Um, my tables and chairs don't wander around. That's not. But uh, they were very much just part of the family. So. Uh, you know, from very young age, uh, we had quite small dogs when I was younger. There was a Shetland sheepdog called Peary, uh, Kelpie, first of all, then Peary, then a Yorkshire Terrier called Humphrey. He was big for a Yorkshire Terrier, but still not a big dog. And then the dogs just tended to, I mean, they went on for forever, those two, um, but still not long enough, he said glumly. But at sort of 18 and 17 years old, uh, Peary and Humphrey. And then bigger dogs, a bull mastiff called Sylvan, who was just, I just loved her to bits. Um, and then lots of waifs and strays. And, but grandmothers and grandparents had dogs as well. So whatever house we were in, there were dogs. And yeah, it just, it just it was a very natural part of life. Just dogs were always just there. What about sports? Did you grow up being a sports lover, I would imagine? Yeah, I, mean, I think most most children, sport is part of their life. Uh, you know, you're always taken to do activities, but we sort of uh, were keen to do it ourselves anyway. It was, um, grew up in a family where rugby and golf were the two main sports. Um, and so, yeah, but golf was my big thing growing up. I grew up in a town called Troon, which is uh, sort of golf based town you know it's population 15,000 or so getting a bit bigger now but six seven courses there golf courses and it was just a golf was not there golf you know quite often in the UK and certainly in America is a bit aspirational sport and a you know sport of the affluent in the country clubs and a bit exclusive and has a, a bit of a an image about it but not in Trun and uh, where I come from golf is just you know, sport of the of the people as much as um, you know any um, any well-to-do folks. So um, yeah, played a lot of golf growing up, but just any activity. Played all sports. Um, I think when you're young, you do. As you just you, you love playing sports. Just as you get older, I think you <laughs> you grow out of it a little bit. Some people do, and I I sort of have, but it's my job now. So um, you know, I always. Uh, you know, I always have a healthy interest in sport, but I always love playing sport more than watching sport or commentating on it. Um, it's just that as you get older, you can do less of the former and you have to just do the latter. So, How did you decide to make that your career? It was really by accident rather than by design. It was um, my degree uh, at university was French and philosophy, which qualifies you for zero. <laughs> um, so qualifies you for being pretentious in, in multiple languages. So I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, like a lot of people who go to university or college or whatever, it's, you know, they just go there because they feel that that is a part of their life that they have to do. And it does sort of qualify you for life and becoming a, an adult and standing on your own two feet and paying rent and living on your own and cooking and all such things. But in terms of qualifications, it didn't really qualify me for, I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, still didn't after I graduated. And then after a, a while, after a, a year of working as a waiter in Glasgow, big, the biggest city of the West Coast of Scotland, um, I thought, well, I've got to do something with my love of, of language and languages and love of showing off. And uh, that all comes together into the, the media. But that's like in mid to late 90s now. So it seems like a, it's a lifetime ago and so much has moved on 
because people say, how did you get into your career? Well, I started off in local radio and then started off doing sports, you know, presenting the bulletins and editing and doing interviews and all sorts of things. And then went down to the BBC in 2000. But nowadays, people say, how do you get into sports broadcasting? I'd love to get into sports broadcasting. And I would say, I haven't got a clue now. I would say probably you'd start your own YouTube channel and start trying to do, do your own stuff or posting on social media, maybe some interviews you've done or some presenting you do, because that that's your shop window now. Everybody can be a broadcaster now, whereas it used to be you had to broadcast at official outlets, of which there were local radio or TV stations or local newspapers you'd write for. But now anyone can blog and anyone can vlog and uh, anyone can podcast. podcast. Anyone can podcast, <laughs> but some people are very, very good at it, Erin. So, no, but it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's so egalitarian. For so many people, it would have been very, very difficult to get a foot in the door. And I, I found that way, you know, I was knocking on the door of radio stations and TV stations. for, And, you know, you, you just wouldn't hear back from them or you, you, you might get as far as a chat with them but you know that with those limited platforms it was very very difficult to get started and involves you know a bit of luck and timing and whatever whereas now you can get your work out there and you can make it you know be seen by it doesn't matter what size of the audience is it's be it's out there and if it's good enough then it, things can snowball you know that's just it, the whole landscape of broadcasting has entirely changed in the last 25 years yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it is very interesting. And I appreciate how much you talk about sort of like the world of social media and things uh, throughout your book and both books. And, um, you know, like you, I'm a person of a certain age over 40. And we remember what life was like before social media and things like this. And sort wasn't of having- it good? Wasn't it simple? I mean, that's what that's what we tell ourselves that it was it was better. You know, I but but everything every, whenever you look back on its stages of life and um um eras you think oh that was better that was definitely better then i'm not sure it was but there is always a tendency to look back and think that things were better and simpler as it happens i think that now we're probably right when we look back and say that things were better and simpler because we're in a bit of a mess just now and that's not just our imagination um some of it's been misfortune a lot of it's mismanagement but we find ourselves in you know tricky times so yes i i do look back to the time before social media and think that was a a simpler quieter time where you know bad news and misinformation etc couldn't spread nearly as quickly but then neither could lovely videos of dogs or funny stuff couldn't spread as quickly <laughs> either so it's just a more hectic um, slightly chaotic time now, but um, I think things will readjust. It's just, uh, you know, this is part of the evolution of humankind that we've got to we've discovered this social media thing, and it's a load of old nonsense. But, um, it, you know, there's a lot of good out there as well as a lot of bad. It's just we hear a lot more of the bad sometimes. Yeah, and I there's some sort of a bias that we have to kind of keeping the bad with us and not taking in the of course, good. <laughs> of course, absolutely. Well, you know, if you ever get um you know messages and and comments or reviews and you know you you take in the good stuff but it and and that's 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 nice and it's appreciated it's taken on board but my goodness if there's a if there's a bad comment that stays with you forever that's i don't know why it is but that's human nature to focus on that kind of thing i mean the olive and mabel stuff has been phenomenally Positive. I mean, ridiculously so. I talk about there being, you know, it's a very rough calculation, but it's about a, 
it's certainly about 120 to 150,000 messages have come back over the time, which is just nonsense for a start. But almost every single one of them has been just positive, just really, really positive. And there would be about five or six messages that over that time out of 130,000 that have been negative, which is extraordinary. But, you know, you still remember the ones that were... I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, yeah, we've got to recondition our brains slightly. One of the things I appreciated that you you touched on in your first book was about understanding that for a while, your life was not really conducive to having a dog. And then kind of how your circumstances changed and what made you and your partner decide, oh, now now we can have a dog. And I appreciate that because, you know, a lot of people want a dog, but I think it's good to be honest about what we can and can't accommodate in our lives right now when we're bringing in a, another life that's going to depend yeah. on us. Yeah, but that's that's just a, an awareness of the practicalities of it and knowing that dogs are not just these adornments or part of your life that's just going to be a, oh, there's some comical entertainment for us there from this creature. It's that they do take a huge amount of time. Um, I mean, just every day, you know, you're walking for an hour and a half, two hours with Labrador. So um, that's, you know, a couple of hours out of your day straight away. Um and not that you begrudge them, it's you know it's, it's pretty good for you to, to get out and about anyway. But it's just the whole the whole you know you know I don't have children, so it's, it's but I would imagine it's akin to giving your life over a little bit. You know, children will be even more time consuming, um, but it's giving you it's it's giving away a part of your your own life to look after another life, and that's uh, that's probably not a bad thing. It makes you slightly less um, less self centered and, and just thinking about your 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 own situation all the time. We don't have children either. <laughs> no, don't, we don't do, uh, well, uh, that's the, then it leads on to the, you know, do you think of your dog as your, your child? And uh, I think what you do do is you do, you do um, project quite a lot of parental feelings, the, the feelings of, um, of care and guardianship and looking after this creature that you, if you don't have children, you do, you do project them onto um, your dog instead, in particular Mabel, who's, she's being really bothered now by a small fly that keeps landing on her. And she doesn't understand it. And she's trying to get rid of it just by snapping at it rather pathetically. <laughs> and so I just want to go over there and, and sort that fly out to help her out. And there's, there's a feeling of protecting it. You know, just, yeah, I just always want to make sure that she's all right. Uh, Olive is probably always going to be all right. She can look after herself. Mabel, not so much. And so Olive came along first and she's the black lab. She is the black lab, yeah, like a little black olive. I think that's why we did call her Olive because when she was a puppy, she was just this little round black thing. So Olive, Olive was so-called. Yeah, so she she's nine and a half, well, a bit older than that now. Um, and Mabel's four years younger. So um, yeah, Olive's black with increasing flecks of, of grey. Um, but yeah, still, still fighting fit and... Uh, still sprinting after balls and things like that. So, um, but yeah, Olive was, I mean, the decision to get her was, as I say, we just had had more time to have a dog and, you know, Labrador is is the sort of obvious uh, safe choice. Um, but yeah, I couldn't have, couldn't have wished for a, a better dog. And then when do you decide, how do you decide that now is the time to yeah. bring on a second dog? Mm, it's... Uh, I think, I mean, I have written about it being this sort of succession plan, but also the, I think a dog does need dog companionship as well. You know, it's, it's just that they are pack animals and they do like to have a bit of dog company. So, yeah, it was just, I think to, I think once you move past that point of two dogs into three, then you're moving into the, 
realms of being the slightly mad person who has, I don't know, a, a, a flock of dogs, a herd of dogs, um, just a collective noun for dogs, a pack of dogs it would be the obvious one. Um, so she's still really bothered by that fly. It's just a fly. Mabel. Oh, no, she's thinking about her dinner now as well. Um, yeah, so it's just, uh, yeah, I uh, I think two is probably plenty. Uh, three, you can, uh, I don't know, manage three, but it's getting quite a handful as well. So Yeah, I wouldn't want them to outnumber me. <laughs> no, that's the, yeah, that's excessive. That's like, when they take control. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're standing on each other's shoulders to get to the to get to the food in the cupboards. Yeah. And how did you decide on their names? Because I, I love those names. Yeah, just two syllables always, and we thought it was sort of slightly older ladies' names that aren't in use anymore. But of course, they are coming. They're coming back. Mabel's quite a popular name. There's a pop singer called Mabel, and um, more and more young girls are being called Mabel now. Uh, but Mabel was always a bit of a, an older woman's name, um, and Olive as well. Oh, who's barking in the background there? I heard a bark. Oh, oh, that's my Penny. <laughs> oh, Penny, Penny, shush. Um, no, I know. I like dog chat. I don't think our two are going to bark at all. Mabel very rarely barks, unless she's being molested by a boy dog, um, in which case she really does shout stranger danger in dog language. Um, and Mabel was just uh, that that name. So it's for shouting on the beach, two syllables, um, older lady's name. and But Mabel also means my beloved, I think, in uh, is it Latin. Yeah, I think so. Um, so that was it, Mabel. Olive and Mabel. So Penny is sort of named after the Big Bang Theory. Uh, oh, right, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. She's blonde and she just kind of likes to make people smile. So at first we were thinking Phoebe uh, yeah. from Friends, but then we yeah. went with Penny. Penny. She works in a cheesecake shop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. um, you know, it's a good name. Penny's a great name for a dog. Penny, 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 <gasps> Penny. Oh, Penny disappointed voice oh penny leave it leave it um yeah that works <laughs> and we have we have another guy named, too named nino and his name was that when it came from the shelter and he knew his name and so you couldn't change it yeah we we felt bad changing it so i wouldn't have named him nino but i it is sort of funny because he's like an 80 pound i guess you guys would call him like a staffy a staffordshire terrier uh you know we call him like a pit bull and i always joke he's 80 pounds and most of it's in his head (laughs) yeah oh but he's 80 but that's 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 40 kilo 45 kilos or something no that's 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 big that's uh that's heavy he must be so pit bull's a different dog to a staffordshire bull staffordshire bull terriers are slightly smaller than pit bulls anyway so he's like a pit bull's like a a bigger version of a Staffordshire Bull Terrier. So yeah, yeah I love. Old, I guess yeah. I love those dogs. Yeah, I absolutely love them, and they get they get such a bad rep, and you get a lot of them at, at rescue centres as well. Um, yeah, shelters. all of ours are rescue. Yeah, yeah. Well, you get. I mean, over here, the most common dog at rescue at shelters is uh, our Staffordshire Bull Terriers because people buy them thinking they're hard dogs for a hard image, and and then they just uh, they just jettison them. So they're they're just lovely dogs. They're just beautiful. <laughs> So tell us some about your life before COVID. It sounded like you did a lot of traveling. Yeah. What was life like back then? Oh, life back then. Let me tell you about life back then. Um, it was just, uh, I, you know, I'm a sports broadcaster. So it was, it was pretty simply that. It was, um, that was my job, you know, traveling. I'd do a bit of traveling to the States and to, to the Far East, Middle East, uh, in Europe and, and various sports and golf and rugby and athletics and uh, tennis and 
and so that was it really and uh, and you know long long spells away from the dogs but then also long spells at home because I freelance I work for for anybody and doing anything but also the, you know the long spells where you're not working so you then just head up into the mountains with the dogs and so yeah quite a, um I mean some would say it's quite a glamorous life I suppose uh, parts of it were but um uh yeah just it was uh, fairly familiar stuff to to me after a while but doing events like the Olympics or Wimbledon or whatever it might be, uh, the Masters Golf and the Ryder Cup and all, all sort of big ev- sports events, you know, going along and just talking nonsense about them. Um, yeah, well, I mean, hopefully qualified nonsense. Um, so just adding words to pictures, basically. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was, it was good fun. And, it, and that's pretty much what it is again, but it's just in between there has been this big diversion into um dog videos and then and then dog dog but i'd say dog books they're not i mean the second one's not overtly a dog book i mean it was sorry you know it does look like a dog book because it's got olive and mabel in the cover and it's called dog days i mean you could be forgiven for going this is a dog book um but it's sort of more about life really than than anything else it's more about life in a pandemic than um than just about dogs but um yeah before and after sports broadcaster and uh in between something very strange and dog related <laughs> and so when covid first happens you know what's that like when your whole life is traveling to go to events with a ton of people there <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean i think everybody's life changed but mine certainly certainly did and a lot of people their work sort of carried on really but they were doing it from home um, other people who depend on events happening, their their working life stopped, and mine certainly did. I had no work at all, um, and so that's why you know you put out the first video um, because it was just sort of trying to poke fun at this situation, and you had no idea that it was going to take off like that. But you know, it, it was a situation that we were all in. It was just a bit strange, and put out this tweet saying here i'm a sports broadcaster with no sport to do what am i going to do i'm going to commentate on my dogs as you do but you've no idea that it's going to take off like it did it was just the 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 strangest uh strangest thing absolutely extraordinary um but then of course you put out one video which is you know whether eating their breakfast and commentate on it and you think that that's that's that but then you end up having people saying i love this and things weren't changing in terms of the situation so you end up um, doing another one, which goes even bigger, and then another one, and then another one. It just kept on going. Yeah, it was the Zoom video that I first saw because yeah. they actually played part of it here on the news. And uh, it was so perfect. You know, just such like the perfect commentary on what we're all dealing with, trying to figure out the Zoom thing. And, well, you know. there, was a, there was a strange, I think MSNBC News um Oh God! What was his name? Brian? Was it Brian Williams? Brian? Brian? Oh, I can't remember the, the newsreader who's just retired. But he would play whatever video at that time that I put out. He would he would play it. So there was one where Mabel was standing in a pond, and they would finish their nightly news bulletin in the states with um with uh, Olive and Mabel appearing again. So that's how strange it was in the, every video I did. But they, so there were, I think, three commentary ones before I did the Zoom meeting one. You know, I was I was very pleased with the Zoom meeting one because it, it pivoted slightly away from doing commentary to just putting dogs into this strange situation and seeing our human world with a bit of the surreal and a bit of dog added. And uh, that's, yeah, so I think that's when a lot of, 
I mean, yeah, the first videos had had millions upon millions of views, the commentaries, but I think a, a sort of different audience latched on after the, the Zoom meeting one. Do you have a favorite video? Well, I mean, I did. There were a couple that I really liked that that probably because of the way my brain is wired, other people didn't they didn't quite take off in the same because people just wanted me to carry on doing commentary ones. A lot of people did. They said, "No, I just want you to just do a commentary on your dogs." Um, but I liked this slightly surreal. I liked um, there was a behind the scenes mockumentary I made as if it was a documentary on uh, on what was really going on behind the scenes with Olive and Mabel because I quite like making these little films and these little parodies. So I enjoyed that one very much indeed, um, and I enjoyed the last. The, I, there was one other one which was very different, which was when we got back out into the mountains again. Um, so from May 2021, we were finally allowed back across. You know, I finally got back across the border into Scotland and I was allowed into the mountains. You weren't even allowed to go into the mountains. It was ridiculous. But but then we finally were allowed to go into the mountains in April 2021. And I, I went up there with, with Olive and Mabel and filmed it. And I made something which, thanks to some uh, drone footage as well from a friend of mine who I was climbing with, it looked quite, it looked, it was a sort of, it was a fittingly spectacular release back into the mountains. It was scenic. It was glorious, and I just uh, I loved that one. And then, but then more recently, which the video, which I think was in May this year, which I think will probably be the last, certainly the last big video that I do, uh, was one where I was imagining what Mabel was dreaming about, um, which I enjoyed. Which was, you know, people think they're dreaming about chasing squirrels or food or whatever, but actually she was dreaming about starring in a an American cop show. Um, so, but that one took so much work. If you haven't seen that one, have a look at that one. Um, it's up there. I think it's called um, Olive and Mabel Let Sleeping Dogs Lie on okay. on YouTube. So that one is definitely worth, if only for the sort of backstory of making it as well, because I started production of that in December 2020 and finished it in May this year. <laughs> Oh wow! So, but it wasn't as if I was making it the whole time. It just it kept going on to the back burner as I couldn't think of how to make it work. Um, but eventually, I think it did work. I'm quite pleased with that one. So yeah, I was curious what you know. You explained some of the behind the scenes of making some of the videos throughout your books, and just you know, because you're not like a dog trainer. You don't have these perfectly trained dogs or no. you know dog models. Or no. I have a friend who her dogs are in commercials. You know, oh, and, God, and so, <laughs> you know, I just uh, I appreciated you know the the humor of like trying to get a regular dog to do what you want them to do i i was trying to film an unboxing video last week and just mm. trying to get my dogs to sniff the box oh, it's ridiculous. that it's had ridiculous. dog treats in it <laughs> well <laughs> took yeah. you know half an hour <laughs> well there was a there was a uh a, a, a very sort of influential uh, media guy based in hollywood um british guy but he and he when all, the Olive and Mabel thing was taking off, after about three or four videos, his people got in touch and said they, you know, and then I had a few phone calls with him in Los Angeles and he was saying he wanted to do some more episodes and, you know, we could work, you know, a full full script writing team and production team and, and make it a slightly bigger thing. And I, I, he was a lovely guy, really nice guy. And it was, a, you know, it was a very credible offer to work and it was flattering as well to work with this guy but um i was all the time thinking about how long it took me to make a 60 second video with olive and mabel so to actually make 
even little shorts, like three, four, five minute videos, it sounds like nothing, but it would take an eternity. And it doesn't matter what idea you have in your head or what script you might have in your head, the dogs just don't play along with it. So you have to adapt it and you have to do something else. Um, so yeah, working with animals, never work with children or animals is obviously the, the, the cliche, but it's just dogs do what dogs want to do. So, And you can't get frustrated with them either because you might have an idea that Olive will start there and Mabel will be doing this and then they'll look this way. And they don't. And then, you know, I've seen, I've seen how proper television is made and it takes as many takes, you know, it takes... 10 12 different takes to get things and you can't do you can't put dogs through that either so that's why when people were saying could have an oh we really want another olive and mabel video it just wasn't that easy i think the finished product hopefully looks as if it's quite easy and quite straightforward and quite short and has has been done very very quickly but that was never the case how do you come up with the ideas? I mean, first of all, you could be a comedian if you wanted to have another <laughs> career between, you know, your writing and just, uh, you know, the quick wit and your just take on on things. Uh, so I was really curious, like, do these just come to you? Or do you see other things and want well, to carry them? Yeah, I th- uh, thanks. That's very kind. I think that's, um, that's, that's the difficulty as well. It's coming up with ideas. Um, and sometimes I've come up with a really good idea, but it's just not been practical at all. I always thought during this, I thought it'd be lovely to work in animation because then you can just make anything work. You can do anything you want. You come up with an idea and you know how to make it happen. I've come up with lots of ideas for Olive and Mabel that just weren't practical to actually film them, to get them to happen. Um, and this, uh, that, uh, uh, Let Sleeping Dogs Lie, when the one Mabel's recent dream, that's a prime example of one that just... The, the idea was there, but I just couldn't work out how to make it happen. And eventually it got, got something close to what I wanted done. But it was just, it was so, yeah, it was just so difficult to get it done. But the idea is, if you, the, coming up with the idea, I think, is the hardest thing. Um, after that, you can, if you're willing to put the time into it, that's the thing as well. So it's, it's very difficult from, <laughs> it sounds really as if I'm taking it quite seriously, but at the time I was, and, because coming up from conception to actual, you know, pressing send on a tweet or on a post or putting up on YouTube it was always a very, very long time. And uh, but the ideas were, were was the hardest thing because if you come up with a good idea, then you're willing to put the work in to make it happen. But um, and I'm quite pleased they've all been my idea. The what the what there was one that wasn't my idea. It was someone I was saying I was struggling to come up with an idea, and a, a friend said, "Well, what about um, if they were doing online dating?" And that one then, that worked really well. But then that involved quite a bit of production as well to make up a, a fake, you know, get a friend of mine to make up a fake dog dating website and then to get Olive to look at the screen, you know, and to because you've still got to hope that they do the right thing. Um, so, but Because that, that's quite a good one, actually, the Olive and Mabel online dating. Because, it, again, it's something that a lot of us, you know, can relate to. It's just part of life. And to have the idea that Olive and Mabel are hopeless at online dating as well is quite... Um, yeah, quite endearing. You know, I do think there is something universal amongst dog owners where we kind of narrate the dogs. Yeah, totally. Um, totally. And so I, you know, I love, there's a lot of people who are have famous dogs or Instagram famous dogs. And mm. I was, you know, and I, I love that you weren't, 
ever looking for this kind of thing. You were just kind of having some fun during COVID. Yeah. And yet, I think it was this universal commonality that, you know, like we have voices that we do for the dogs. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because you, when you're when you're talking to them, you can imagine it's not a, a voice that you can particularly, a specific voice that you can hear, but it is somehow you can interpret their faces and, and what their little cock of the head or whatever it might be. And you, you think you know what they're saying to you. So that's why the videos is me sort of, you know, I'm verbalizing what Mabel's thinking, what Olive's thinking. I'll say, you know, <laughs> I think one I did last autumn when we were sweeping up leaves and it was Mabel helping me in a pathetic way. And you're just always chatting away to her and imagining what she's saying. But you always come up with the most ridiculous thing that she might be saying as well. Um, she was sweeping up leaves and I'm saying, yeah, pick up that, pick up that leaf there. No, it's a stick, whatever it is. And then she comes over and then, then I just look at her expression. I say, no, I don't know why Drago and Rocky are in the same weight division. I've got no idea. Could you go and pick up that leaf? You know, as if she might be thinking, why on earth um, Ivan Drago and Rocky are in the same weight division, which actually doesn't make sense. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just a very, <laughs> sometimes we're spot on with what they might be thinking and saying, but sometimes we just imagine all sorts of nonsense. But that's part of it. Everybody, I think most dog owners do that with their dogs. So what I kept thinking as I was reading through both of your books was the law of unintended consequences <laughs> mm, yeah. and uh, how you just could never have predicted the fervor that would happen when you started releasing these. And I, I had written down at one point you had offers, both some crazy offers for you as well as for the dogs, um, 11 dog food companies. Uh, more than that now, right? Uh, merchandise, all kinds of merchandise, a wine. I, yeah. I was like, wow. Yes. Yeah. It, I mean, the, that that's just a sort of example of the strangeness. Of, uh, but a lot of companies um, throughout the last two years as well, they've been looking because they've been struggling a bit. So they've been looking for something to get things going again, just anything really to sort of latch on to or work with or whatever. So, you know, you, it wasn't just that I was doing this strange thing, but other companies were trying to think, how can we do something that's going to to help ourselves get through this? So, um, yeah, but the, the unintended consequences, I mean, because none, well, initially none of it was by design. You know, I didn't sit there at the start of 2020 and think, right, I'm enjoying my sports broadcasting, but I'd quite like to you know, I'd quite like to write a couple of books or become this sort of internet influencer. Well, not influencer because I don't I never sell stuff, but internet, you know, dog sensation or um, do a stage tour. It was all, it all kind of happened by accident. And that that kind of, I suppose that that's, um, just indicates how when we talk as humans about, you know, you can do whatever you want in life and you can make it happen or you just plan what you want to do and you work hard enough and it'll happen. That's not the way life works. Life is a series of fortunate or unfortunate incidents as well. You know, you can, you know, if you put in work, then that's certainly going to help you along the way. But a lot of it is just luck and timing. And, you know, very successful people will talk about how hard they've worked. And I think, well, of course you have, of course you've worked hard. Yeah, I've, I don't doubt that at all. But you've always had a huge amount of fortune along the way as well. We all have, if we've had any success in life, it's never happened just because of hard graft. It's happened because we have been given a stroke of, of luck, a timing along the way as well. And uh, the pandemic was h horrific, um, but because it happened, a, a door opened. And I sort of unwittingly initially walked through, but then sort of you kept going down that 
strange corridor that you found yourself in. But that's just the the sort of chaotic chance of life that um, we can pretend that we're designing it all, but we're not really. I think there was a, a great quote where uh, somebody was saying, you know, you made us laugh in a time where there was a lot of laughter-free days and how important oh. that was. Yeah, well, there were some, I mean... Uh, you know, the biggest part of it all for me were the messages and the emails coming back saying things because and you, you saw how much people really were s- struggling, struggling through losing friends or family or struggling themselves with illness or struggling themselves with the mental difficulty of it all or struggling, you know, through losing work or, or finding work incredibly difficult, whatever they might have been uh, struggling with. And it, that's what the last two years was like. And when you saw the messages coming back and saying, Listen, just for 60 seconds or a couple of minutes or whenever I watch these videos, I just sort of, you know, it makes things a little bit better. And that sounds very, very, ah, behold, I've healed the world through laughter. And it, but, but when you see messages coming back saying how much it m- meant to them just to have a bit of a laugh and a bit of an escape, then you realize that you were not just making silly dog videos. Well, you were, but that they had a, a slightly more serious effect, which was so gratifying and so then you think then you think well i've got to keep on making these videos as well so you feel a bit more pressure about it as well um even now i feel people don't need them so much anymore but even now people will say to me oh i haven't seen an olive and mabel video for a while and uh, you know i think oh i should be putting one out but i suppose you've got to let it go after a while but yeah the reaction from people was just a very, very special part of it. So what were some of the offers that, that you got uh, for to broadcast for uh, during the pandemic? Um, yeah, strangely. I mean, lots of ads, just could you do some, but it was always, could you be the joke commentator? And, you know, never, I've never taken myself too seriously, but if you carry on being the parody commentator, that's what you'll be remembered as. And, you know, when you go back to do Wimbledon or, or the Olympics or the opening ceremony or something, a gr- big race at the Olympics, or, and people are just hearing this guy who is, you know, talking about commentating on pizza being cooked or, or you know, or rental cars being cleaned or kittens doing taekwondo then that's what you'll be remembered for and people will always identify you as the joke commentator the, the the funny the funny hey there's a funny voice guy so i didn't i didn't you know that really wasn't uh for me but i was asked to commentate as well, lots of game shows to commentate on things and you know saturday evening entertainment and uh commentating on video games as well um like call of duty and overwatch which i was only vaguely aware of but just um you know, people just killing each other and me commentating on it going, oh, he's been killed. Oh, no, she's been killed. That's been killed. I don't even know what that is, but it's been killed. Um, so that really wasn't for me either. But um, it was just very interesting to get these offers at the time. <laughs> but um, that would involve a lot of work for something that I wasn't really that interested in. I do love the penguin video. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'd forgotten about that. That was, uh, see, that was, and that was the only offer of work I had Um in yeah yeah in those those months that work that was an offer you know from uh, the Victoria Tourist Board in in Australia to commentate on um, on their penguins at the Phillip Island Nature Reserve down near Melbourne to commentate on their waddle up from the sea into their burrows these are the fairy penguins um, 
And so I had to, I just commented on that because they had lost all their visitors, all their tourists. So they wanted something to put online to say, hey, we're still here. You can watch them on the webcams and when you, you know, can come back, please do. And it really, you know, it worked well for them. It got, you know, got them some really good press coverage and got a lot of views. And, but it was just commentating on, on penguins racing up, uh, racing up the beach into their burrows. Yeah, exactly. I think I, pretending that one of them was just an old veteran penguin coach watching on um and then there's some cheating going on and then it was a close finish but it was just yeah it was keeping my skills active commentating on penguins so in book two you kind of pick up at like sort of like the height of all of the fame and one of the things i was really curious about was just sort of your wife's take on all of this um yeah, my my other half. Oh, don't marry us off yet. So um, no, no, no. She, she well, it's it's been interesting because she, you know, I suppose she would have been a a detached observer. To she's been quite a good sort of um, quality control uh, expert on it. Because sometimes I there's a couple of ideas I came up with for, and she go, uh, uh-uh, no. So, um, but it was quite stressful as well because then all this. Um, all this attention's coming in and there's part of her and certainly part of me as well. You just want to sort of have them as your dogs, you know, um, because that's what they are and you want life to be a bit quieter and less frenetic. But I, I've enjoyed it all. I think I've enjoyed it a bit more than, than she has, but, but yeah, no, there've been large parts of it, which have been great fun as well. But I think she's quite glad that it's sort of, um, paring down a little bit but uh, don't worry if I come up with another great video idea they'll be back out there again <laughs> yeah I got the impression uh that you're more you know consider yourself more of like an introverted kind of person and I feel the same way about myself like I, I like to talk to people but more like one-on-one and you know yeah. I get kind of overwhelmed and uh with a lot of people and so I, I appreciated sort of like your introvert's view of like all of the stuff going on well there's a but there's a strange um contrast as there is with quite a few people as paradox of being an introvert and not wanting to being very happy in my own company and not really and you know people I can I like them in small doses, but but then at the same time, the, the, the that paradox is that you like to you like to broadcast, and I wouldn't be in broadcasting if I didn't like to. And I and I quite like standing. You know, I enjoyed the stage tour because I like being in front of a big audience. Um, so there's that introverted. Can you have an introverted show off? That's probably what it is. Something like that. So, you know, um, you know, you you'll have a podcast here. You like to put a podcast out there to to people. So. It's yes, I like my own company and or with dogs thrown in, but at the same time, you you quite like to get your voice out there as well to be to be heard in some way. So it's a, that that's strange. Yeah, we're messed up species, aren't we? Really, human beings. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things you touched on too that I appreciated. Uh, you talk about like the stress of moving as if there's not enough else going on in mm, the let's world. Let's move house in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Yes. And the one of the, the the thoughts that you shared that really particularly struck a chord with me was sort of having this like sentimentality of like, oh, I'm leaving the only place that they've ever known as their yeah. home. Yeah. And I had something in a similar vein happen where my car 
uh, got totaled through no fault of my own. And it was the only car that my dogs had ever ridden in. Yeah. <laughs> and for some reason, that was really hard for me. I don't know why, but that's, that's like, so true. I was, I was most concerned about moving house. I was most concerned about them not having the place where they had been as puppies and everything they'd known, their, their bed, the basket was there. Um, they, they trotted up the lane there to go for a walk and they came back and they went and they curled up there. And I, yeah, absolutely. That was the hardest part of moving, no doubt about it. But of course, dogs just get on with whatever's in front of them. So I think for the first few weeks, they just thought they were in a, in the new house, they just thought they were in a holiday home. But, um, but now this, this is, everything their little brains would know and remember. So, um, yeah, they, they, they love it here. First time they came into the house, all of us just very unsure on the floor and I don't know, what, where am I, what's going on here? But now this is, this is their house. So, yeah, dogs adapt very, very quickly. I always think that's a good lesson for us. <laughs> yes, people. exactly. We, we should, I tell you, there's a lot to be said for having low, lower wattage brains. It's just... Just keep on going. Whatever's in front of you, whatever you've got today to deal with, just deal with that rather than thinking about everything else that's going on. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, and I this seems to be a very English term for hill walking. Mm. And uh, so is it mountain climbing? Is it like trails? Uh, is, it, is it a little bit of everything? Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. It's a English English language term. Don't say that to a Scottish person. Is it an English term? Because uh, <laughs> Scottish people will go, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. It's like calling an, uh, an American Canadian or vice versa. So, hill walking is hill walking is quite a broad term. It, it means kind of hiking, I suppose. It's um, hill walking would be anything up to involving hands-on rock and usually I like to get some hands-on rock as well but with the dogs obviously I don't because they haven't got hands to put on said rock um so hill walking can can be anything up to up to a hard scramble um up some rocks so but it, yeah it's mountain it's it's mountain but we'd we'd say you know going going off to climb some mountains as that's hill walking as well so you know it's it's a, it's a bit of a vague term, but um, I've been in some situations with the dogs where we have been scrambling up some rocks. But again, I never put them in danger. But you know, a couple of times they've had to be like mountain goats to get up there. But yeah, hill walking just means climbing some hills, climbing some mountains. And then where does hills and mountains? That's the thing. What's the, what's a hill? What's a mountain? A hill's probably slightly lower and probably slightly more rounded than a mountain. Suggests something a bit more peaky and jaggies but you know we just we interchange hills and mountains and in scotland certainly um they don't really have either in england i mean they do they have some good hills they have some good hills and they have a a couple of things that you might call mountains in in the in the lake district in, in england but no hills and mountains pretty much interchangeable that seems like it's your happy place yeah yeah it is yeah it is i'd quite like to an alternative career be just just guiding people up mountains. Actually, not guiding people because I don't necessarily like the people so much. So just guiding myself up a mountain, <laughs> just talking to myself. Guiding dogs up a mountain. I could be the guy who guides dogs up a mountain. Bring along your little shih tzu and I'll guide her up a mountain. <laughs> Carry it in a rucksack. So uh, I appreciated what you shared about that's like kind of a time to bond with your dogs. And there's something about like kind of going on this adventure with the dogs. It's like mm. makes everybody feel like they're 
like you're all kind of on the same page. One and, pack traveling, yeah. yeah. It's just it is that sort of ancient pack thing, and you're the pack leader, and, and they're putting all their trust in you. So it's a it's a beautiful thing. It really is uh, the connection between between a human and dog when you're out in the mountains, um, and it feels sort of primeval as well. You know, you're out there, and it's just um, something very ancient connection between the between the two of us. But you know, they're probably just thinking about sausages. To be honest. <laughs> So one of the themes that I got out of your most recent book was about aging and both the dogs aging as well as you aging, you know, your eyesight's going, mm. you're taking up gardening, you're throwing yeah. it back out. <laughs> I have not gotten to the gardening age yet, but the eyesight is well, definitely it'll going. Come. It'll come. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, again, when you get to sort of, you know, middle age, you start looking it's, it's, it's a crossroads, isn't it? You're looking back, you're looking forwards. Actually, it's not a crossroads because you're not looking side to side. You just I don't, you reflect on if you're a particularly maudlin person, as I sometimes can be. You do think about you know the passage of time and how quickly it seems to just flow away from you in, in middle age. And then when you have dogs, you think about it flowing away even more quickly because you know they 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 are not dancing on this earth for as long as we are. And it's just it's a uh, yeah. It's, and I think when you threw the pandemic into it, it really was a time of, of reflection, and we all became a little bit more philosophical about life because you kind of pause. And when your life is taken up with your your work and the normal, uh, all the sort of normal ticking along of life, the things that make make you know that we do, even you know things like working, but um, holidays or going to the gym, going to the shops, doing all these things. When all that stops, then all you can do is is reflect upon your your point and your purpose, and what, you know it all becomes rather existential. So um, there's certainly a lot of that in the book. I'm not selling it as a particularly humorous book here, but it, but uh, hopefully it is. But it's just hopefully as well. It's something that a lot of people can relate to because we were all going through that situation as well, and you know throw in a lot of uh, dog stuff in there as well. But um, it's more about. It's more about a gently philosophical um, look at um, the way we were living during lockdown and things we were doing. It's that kind of retreat into the virtual world as well, because it's that being cooped up and unable to travel, but also then retreating even from, you know, in your own house, you retreat even further into this um, into this micro world, macro world, getting meta. I mean, I I was writing about meta in you know things before before Zuckerberg even got onto it. It's um, you know this retreat into this virtual world, which I I hate, but it's comfortable and it's safe and it's but you know the real world. You, you know, you've got to get back out there and experience the sort of more visceral things of the real world. But uh, I think we seem to be heading in one direction that's inward, um, which is quite a dangerous thing as well. I think um, you know we all become. You're less connected in the real world with people, and, and sort of more connected in this slightly abstract virtual world, which it can be, you know, quite distorted and uh, or quite easily um, altered to to make it look like. Well, I, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a dangerous place. The virtual world. It seems fun, but it's just it's uh, it's not real. But it can lead to sort of consequences in the real world. Um, Oh dear, I'm getting quite um, quite philosophical. Let's just talk about dogs again, and they're incredibly soft ears. <laughs> well, I guess that was again what was interesting to me, just about being kind of over the age of forty, you know, and having if you were twenty five and doing all of this, it would seem more like that was the, the virtual world was the real world, and so yeah. 
I appreciate you know having that view that no, this is all very separate. Well, yeah, where's it going for where's it going for people in their twenties? This is a natural part of things, you know, to to spend just so long. And I and I do as well, and I hate myself for it for looking at your phone. You're looking for news and jokes and you're looking for whatever it might be and emails coming in and it's just so long spent looking at at this screen. Um and but but that is such a huge part of of the world now, but even more so for young younger people going forward. It's just a natural place to exist is we exist here on this level, but we also exist in the within the light and glass. And um yeah, it's very odd. Yeah, I was just thinking that there's so many people who out there I don't know. I always think of young women, maybe I'm being, I don't know, sexist or ageist or something that are dying to be an influencer. And oh, you... I, 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 if I had daughters, I would just, I, you know, I'd do everything I could to steer them away from the absolute nonsense that is out there on social media and the image that is presented and the image that you're supposed to present and the idea that you can have a career for doing nothing but pouting and posing and that's for men and women as well it's just uh, you know it's it's just utter rubbish but but it seems such an appealing career when you're younger you know i can sell this product just by standing with it and but it's you know it's it's a bit of a there's certainly a darker side to it and um the addiction of it but also i you know i i look at um you know, and and we would have been the same when when we were younger. I'm talking about. I would I would have been the. Well, I'm not sure I would have been the same, but you know, it's just this idea that you've just got to be just posing for photos in this perfect. You've got to have this perfect life. This perfect life is there for you. That's what Instagram in particular presents. This perfect, wonderful life. Um, but it's just an absolute. It's a thin veneer, and it's just so brushed and altered and and styled and it's i don't know it's just so far from the real world or anything that's particularly healthy and um you you hope that if people have good sense then they'll realize that and they can use it for just a bit of fun but if you get too involved in it and and depend on it too much but influencer god save us from the influencers So in book two, which was done more like a journal, like a diary kind of style, you do describe it's, you know, we're getting into late 2020, early 2021. There's sports events that are now happening, but there's no spectators there. Yeah. I would imagine that's a very surreal experience. It was surreal, yeah. It was uh, it was very, very good for getting in and out of the stadiums, lack of traffic, but uh, it was uh, different, yeah. When you're commentating, you're sort of, uh, your voice is part of a bigger orchestra of noise, and when a whole section of that orchestra is missing, like the, the, the crowd, then it's very, very difficult to do. And we used to pipe in the artificial noise, you know, sort of uh, laid on in in, in, uh, in production. We would just uh, put in some, it's like canned laughter on a, a sitcom or something like that. Right. But this was uh, canned crowd noise. And it was just so unreal. Um, yeah, but it was just another, another aspect of that very, very strange time. So I've just seen the dogs are heading off to get fed. They're very, very happy indeed. So... Um, <laughs> So what do your sport colleagues think of your dog fame? They just mock me for it, which I quite like. <laughs> just, uh, here's, here's the dog guy, dog man. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, they, a lot of them are very appreciative of it um, because they recognize the sort of 
the the art of commentary that they're all involved in as well in terms of applying it to dogs. So, yeah, I, I think a, a lot of them have always thought I'm a bit odd and and potential for being um, humorous. So they just thought this was uh, this was always going to happen at some point that I would end up doing something slightly um, surreal. So I can hear kibble hitting hitting the hitting the bowls at the moment. So uh, they're in a very happy place. There's one place where you notice that you observe that you have a, a dark haired colleague and then a blonde haired colleague and it's making you think of Olive and Mavon. <laughs> yeah. That was um that was at Wimbledon. That was in the center court commentary box at Wimbledon. I was commentating with um Tim Henman and uh Tim, <laughs> Tim Henman and Boris Becker. Oh Boris Becker. Um uh, yeah, dark and dark and blonde, and I was just thinking. I I was thinking at the time of could I ask Wimbledon to let me bring Olive and Mabel into the centre court commentary box to do a video, and I think they might have gone for it. But then I thought, you know, do I really want to be bringing them down there to get? It's that thing again of putting them in this position and going through the trying to get them to do the things that I, you're going to all the effort of of getting them into the commentary box and then them not quite doing what I wanted them to do. So. Yeah, no, but um, but yeah, that's the way my mind was working at the time. And I won't, I won't share the full spoiler. Everybody will have to get the book. But you also get to meet Kate Middleton at Wimbledon. <laughs> yes, I keep forgetting what Kate Middleton's title is now. She, um, she's moved up and up in the ranks, uh, Princess of Wales. Now I think she is. Um, uh, so yes, Kate Middleton. I, I met her at Wimbledon. That was just a, a very, very um, odd experience as well. But. Um, yeah, I quite enjoyed that um, that chapter actually, just because it it, it um, you're able to sort of sum up the we we were living within these strange rules and of uh, of constriction, and there's somebody who has well chosen to by marrying into that life, but there that's its own life of strange rules and constrictions, very very en- enjoyable one I'm sure at times as well, but um, not one of particular freedom. But yes, uh, that was me with some tennis legends meeting Kate Middleton at Wimbledon and me wondering why I was there. But uh, there we go. So what is it like? I saw that you did this theater tour, these book tours. What is it like being on stage with the dogs? Are you concerned they're going to just like run off the front of the well, stage? They do. When they do run off the front of the stage pretty much, they try and find stairs down or go through the wings, but um, they just go down to the audience because they know that the audience are rattling snacks. <laughs> and um, so that's pretty much, I would be on stage just chatting with whoever was the moderator, the interviewer, talk, showing some videos, talking about them, and then Olive and Mabel would just be wandering around. And it was really just a chance for people. We talk about people enjoying the videos, but you know they were that's that's enjoying something on the screen, but getting to meet them in real life, it's it's like meeting their favourite actor or something like that. So just getting a chance to to pet the dogs. People soon realised that the best seats were the ones on the aisle oh. aisle seats because <laughs> Olive and Mabel would just be scuttling away up through the seats and people could just reach out and touch them as if they were some sort of messianic dogs um but it was great fun and meeting people afterwards as well as they would queue up to to meet the dogs or have books signed or whatever because then you're hearing the the nice things that people are saying you're you're actually meeting those people rather than just sort of getting the messages from these people there's no more of that detachment it's actually meeting the people to whom these dogs have meant a great deal so that was very very um yeah it was very gratifying I'm really excited for everyone to buy the books. I'll make sure that we have links in the show notes. You know, you just have such a humorous and thoughtful take on everything from 
what happens when the dogs poop after eating a lot of grass to, you know. <laughs> my thoughtful take on that. Yeah, my philosophical <laughs> take know. on that. What's it all about when they do this? I don't know. What would Descartes have said about this? To, you know, realizing that, oh, something's wrong and I need to take my dog to the vet and I'm not sure what it is. And, you know, just such common experiences amongst all pet parents. But you have such a, like I said, a, a humorous and thoughtful take on it that I, I think everyone would appreciate. <laughs> oh, thank you. And that's very kind. Thank you. I, 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 it's funny, the second book, Dog Days, um, you know, the first one just rode along in a wave of the videos and and, and publicity. So, you know, it, it, um, a lot of people got to know that book, but not so many people even know there's still a second book. And I actually, actually whisper it quietly, prefer the second book. So, um, yeah, I hope people enjoy it as well. It's a sort of chronicle of very strange days. You, you chronicle it, it well and with humor and hum, humbleness, for sure. <laughs> thank you very much indeed. That's really kind. <laughs> thank you for your time today. Okay, thank you. And I will pass on your kind regards to Olive and Mabel, who are still, actually, they're not, Olive's just licking the bowl now. She'll be there for about half an hour licking the bowl. <laughs> yes. I always say they're trying to lick the stainless out of the steel. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, exactly. She'll be there for some time yet. Thanks, Erin. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I'm so grateful to Andrew for his time, and I'm so glad we got to hear all about life with Olive and Mabel. I really can't speak highly enough about these books. Olive, Mabel, and Me is such a great memoir, all the funniest parts of being a dog dad. And then Dog Days is such a different style. It's written more, you know, like a journal where there's dated entries and what's happening kind of day by day. And this is as the world's starting to open back up again. And as the height of this fervor of having these internet famous dogs and all these opportunities that are coming their way. And also, you totally have to read Dog Days to find out about what happens when Andrew gets to meet Kate Middleton. And we're getting towards the holidays now. I actually bought the first Christmas present for my nephew this past week. So I have officially started shopping and not waiting to the last minute as usual. But I'm sure I will still be waiting to the last minute for something. But these two books by Andrew Cotter would make great stocking stuffers for the dog lovers in your life or to add to your list so that your spouse, partner, or mother will know what to get you. These are the kind of books I could definitely see myself reading again and again and picking up something different or funny uh, each time that maybe I missed before. or Maybe it'll just hit me a different way because I'm at a different point. Uh, it's, it's definitely something I could see myself rereading, and I don't always feel that way about every book. I have to tell you that selfishly, one of the coolest things about having a podcast is getting free books sent to me because I love to read and it's very fun for me to get all these books sent to me all the time. And I'll have links in the show notes that'll take you directly to Andrew's books, Olive, Mabel, and Me, and Dog Days, Life in Lockdown with Olive and Mabel. I'll also have a link taking you right to his YouTube channel because you have to watch these videos. If you haven't, you are totally and completely missing out. And I also really loved getting to hear from Andrew about the behind the scenes and read in the books about the behind the scenes and go back and watch the videos with what I learned. It's a very cool experience. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. For all my friends in America, I'm wishing you a very happy Thanksgiving and please have safe travels while you're out and about this crazy holiday weekend. And while I'm very much looking forward to eating my weight in mashed potatoes and gravy, I also always appreciate this opportunity to stop and really focus on 
everything that I have to be grateful for because it's a huge, huge, huge list. And even when life isn't perfect, even when there are challenges or things that I wish that were different, when I really think about it, I have so incredibly much to be grateful for. And I'm never sorry to, to stop and think about those things. So I hope that no matter where you are in the world, that you'll have the opportunity to stop and give thanks for all that we do have. And it's pretty universal that our dogs are at the top of that list. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. If you like this episode, remember that you can always leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty much the biggest compliment that you can give a podcaster. Remember, you can always find me on Instagram at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores or on Facebook at Believe in Dog Podcast. We're actually having a pretty funny Instagram conversation going on about the funny songs that we sing with our dogs' names in them. So if you have a song that you'd like to tell us about, feel free to jump in the comments. So until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Believe in Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.